Welcome to the Harmony Pittsburgh Baptist Association Leadership Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage pastors, to equip leaders, and to engage the community with the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Jeremy Randolph. Welcome back to the podcast. We are continuing season four with our second podcast episode, where we talk about the content from the book Misled by Alan Parr. Today, we will be discussing the question, are health and wealth guaranteed for the faithful? Leading the discussion will be Associate Director of our Harmony Pittsburgh Baptist Association, Tony Dionellis. When I first saw this title, I thought, I need to thank Jeremy for giving me such an easy chapter. Boy, was I wrong. As I've read the chapter, I've made an outline, followed it, and searched out Scripture, and then all the other Scriptures that that Scripture points you to, and then studied some other stuff and looked at some things. It's a really big topic, and it can get pretty hairy. So thanks a lot, actually. <laughs> Our health and wealth guaranteed for all the faithful. And, and I'm, we're going to skim the top of this topic here, and at the end, I, hopefully I'll have a, a couple of minutes to share with you a couple of experiences that I've had with some prosperity gospel being around it, not not participating in it. But so number if you follow the outline of the chapter, he asks six questions in chapter two, and then he gives some answers for each. What is the prosperity gospel? What is it? If you go with Mr. Webster a little bit, a gospel in quotes, this is a gospel which teaches that God's plan for you is health and wealth. And that to not have these two things means that you are somehow out of his will for your life or that your faith is somehow lacking. God's plan for you is health and wealth. He wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise because you do more work. And to not have these things, something wrong with you, something wrong with your faith, some sin in the way, something is wrong, something is amiss. Let's look right here at Galatians 1, 8, and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. This is not good. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So we have a repeat. We all know that if Scripture repeats itself, it's, you need to listen. This is not a good thing. A gospel, any other gospel, let, let's clarify something. So we have the gospel of Christ. Gospel, Christ come to earth, lived the perfect life, Calvary, you know, you know the story. That's the gospel entails him dying for our sin to provide forgiveness and salvation and justification and a life eternal in heaven. That is the gospel. Any other other gospel? It's, it's not really a gospel. It's a lie. Biblical health and wealth. If the Bible talks about health and wealth, it's really referring to something more spiritual. There are three references in Isaiah on page 32 that describe this. I'm going to read one of them. Isaiah 19.22. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing. Then he will turn to the Lord. Then they will turn to the Lord and he will be receptive to their prayers and heal them. And it lists some others. But 
health and wealth, according to scripture and spiritual growth, where it, it, it's a spiritual issue, it's a spiritual health condition. I knew a guy, I know a guy, he's still alive. Uh, like I said, he, God, he says God wants him healthy and happy. Those are his words. God wants you healthy and happy so you do more kingdom work. The guy is not wealthy. He wears poverty like a badge of honor. He's an older gentleman. His fingers are crooked from arthritis. He doesn't want that healed, though, because those are spiritual reminders of something. So he wants to keep the physical deformity and claim other types of healing. Let's move on to number two. Problem number two, physical healing isn't always contingent on someone's faith. It's not always contingent. There are a couple instances, a few times where Jesus says, go in peace, your faith has healed you. The woman with the issue, uh, a man with a, one of the, one of the 10 lepers came back, he told him that. So there are a couple times there where faith was contingent in some healing when Jesus was there, but, but not usually, often not. Matthew 4, 24 says, Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, he healed them. So he healed some folks. You talk about a mass healing. Folks are just bringing people in, bringing people to Jesus. He's healing. And, and so all of those people weren't exercising necessarily faith. Some of them were getting drugged by the arm. If a person is dead, such as, hmm, what was his name? Lazarus? His faith wasn't active at that time. Couldn't have. So, so he was healed. Healing isn't always contingent on someone's faith. Another problem, number three here, the prosperity gospel is not an option in most parts of the world. Most parts of the world don't have the option to be rich and wealthy. I wrote a couple of numbers there in the chapter. He says that about 10% of the world's population lives on, and I can't even picture it, less than $1.90 a day. What does that even look? What did we spend in gas coming over here? $1.90 a day. And another about two-thirds of the population of the world lives on less than $10 a day. $10 a day. We spent that in gas. And it said elsewhere, right after that, that if you consider living on under $30 a day, 30 bucks a day, then you're talking two-thirds of the world's population. Uh, add all that up, you got about 85% of the world that must be living in sin because they can't be prosperous, they can't be rich, they can't get ostrich boots and nice heel horses and trucks and all the things, whatever, whatever the thing is you want to spend money on and wealth, they can't even acquire that stuff. Let's move to problem number four. Prosperity gospel can teach a false definition of faith. I love this one because we can look straight to scripture for an actual definition of faith. If you would to look at Hebrews 11.1, 1. many of you would know it without looking. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Bringing our attention to two little bitty prepositional phrases right there. Hoped for and not seen. There's no use in me hoping there's something here to lean on because I could see it before I leaned down. That required no faith whatsoever to lean on this stool. That's not faith because it's seen. Moving to number five. 
it gets the timeline wrong. Gets the timeline wrong. And I'm talking about an eternal timeline yeah. from today, right now, through eternity. Let me bring our attention to a book titled, Your Best Life Now. Have you thought about that? Just the title alone. If you're living your best life now, where are you going to be in 100 years? It ain't good. I don't want my best life now. I want it then. No, sir. I'll take, I'll take sickness and poverty right here for my best life then in eternity. Not now. We don't live our best life now. No. The ultimate blessing is after this life. Second question he asked in the chapter is, why is the prosperity gospel dangerous? I added, how is it dangerous? Is it dangerous? How is it dangerous? Number one, he lists six things. Number one is that it weakens our faith in God. It weakens our faith in God. If I perform this certain way, pray this way, live this way, and expect these things to happen, if then those things don't happen, what does that do? When my... 25-year-old son was in second grade. I, I made a deal with him. I told him, if you get the most AR points in school, accelerated reader, if you read the most books and get the most points, I'll buy you a four-wheeler. I get your own four-wheeler. Boy, was that a mistake. <laughs> he not only won, the second-place kid had half as many points, and then, so I had to buy a four-wheeler. What if I hadn't have bought that four-wheeler for him? What if I would have reneged on that deal? I changed my mind. Oh, now I'm broke. Or now I just don't want to. Nah, because you had a bad attitude the other day. The four-wheeler was only contingent on the most AR points. I followed through. I got him a four-wheeler. It was a lot of fun. He nearly killed himself a few times. Weakens our faith in God because it creates a faith in action equaling, not equaling results situation. If I do this, you're supposed to do that. And if that doesn't happen, it affects the faith. Number two, the second danger, it can create guilt. Creates guilt. Or self-blame can create self-blame for un unfulfilled expectations. If I've, if I've been doing this stuff and praying or living like whatever I'm supposed to think I'm supposed to be doing, living, praying, and then it doesn't happen, then, then maybe it falls back to me and it's my fault that it didn't come through. So then guilt. Uh, my whole life, I make the distinction between conviction of the Holy Spirit and guilt are, are kind of two different things. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is healthy. That's a good thing. When we mess up, I want him to let me know. I want him to let me know. But guilt, that's kind of a self-imposed, can even be a, a negative self-abusive self type situation. Guilt, not necessarily healthy. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is good if we listen to that. Number three. The third danger, it creates a false hope. I have Psalm 39, 7. Psalm 39, 7 says, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Simple enough. My hope is in Christ. My hope is in God. My hope is not in me. I know me too well. My hope's not in you. I don't know you that well. My hope is in Christ. I don't need a false hope from some lying theology. Number four, it promises, promises a quick fix to problems. Don't get me wrong, I'd love a quick fix to problems. The, he says in here, I forgot his name, 
but he quotes a guy as having said, you can't talk your way out of a problem you behaved your way into. It's a process. A lot of, a lot of our problems are a process, and they take time to become a problem, especially financial problems. You don't go from wealthy, independent, debt-free today to bankrupt tomorrow. That's not that fast. It's a process. It promises a quick fix to problems. They, they like to cite a scripture in Mark that talks about a tenfold and a hundredfold. Glenda Copeland, who is Kenneth Copeland's wife, makes a statement about, about this. A tenfold. Put in $10, get 100 Put in 1000 get get 100000 Don't get me wrong. Sign me up. I'd love something like that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Imagine that. Brother, you go take out all your money in $1 bills. I would take out all my money in $1 bills if I could put them in this machine and every time it spit out a 10. Then I'd step to the next one. I'd put in a 10 and get out a 100. Put in a 100 and get out a 1,000. Have they invented that yet? Doesn't work like that. Number five, danger number five. It steals God's glory and gives it to man. This is extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. Does this sound like anything to you? Taking God's glory, taking his credit, we're approaching blasphemy if it's not all completely official. We're looking at blasphemy here. Acts 12. So if we look at Acts 12, 21 to 23, we see a guy named Herod has come out dressed all fancy, and he's talking to the people, and they say, well, I'll just read it. So on a set day, this is verse 21, so on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Don't you love the order of that? He was eaten by worms and then he died. That don't sound good. This, this, is, this is a borderline blasphemy issue here to take God's glory and give it to us. Because if, if I do the right things and the right things happen, then yay, look what I did. It can create a transactional relationship with God. can create transactional relationship with God. In other words, I do, you do. It's a scratch my back, I scratch your back transaction. If then. Remember in high school, I took a computer program in class, which is ironic because I don't, computers, we don't get along. We wrote tons of if-then statements. In the computer, if you do this, then the computer does that. If-then. If-then statements. If I do this, then God's supposed to do that. If I do this, God's supposed to bless this, bless that, give me health and, and all of the things. It's transactional. And that, that, that's, not, that's not the relationship we want with God. So if we move to the third question he asks... What does the Bible say about suffering? John 16, 33, Jesus was talking to some guys, just some random guys. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have rainbows and unicorns. Is that what it said? That's not, is it? In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And depending on your translation, you can say tribulations, troubles, sorrows, suffering. You can see those different synonymous words that we think are negative, but be of good cheer. Suffering is promised. If Jesus said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. There's no 
There's no conversation to have. There's no reason for doubt. Why in the world would we contradict that? And he wasn't just talking to some random guys, like I said. He was talking to his guys, the 12, those guys, the 12 apostles whose names are on the very foundation of heaven one day. Did they, did they live lives full of rainbows and unicorns? Did they die peacefully in their sleep? Rough deaths, every one of them. Even John died in isolation on Patmos. Tradition has it that he was even, they even attempted to boil him alive to kill him, and he survived that somehow. That's not in Scripture, so I don't know for sure, but I've, I've heard that many times through my life. These were his guys, and he's like, you're going to suffer. What does the Bible say about sickness, number four? We have four, four examples of some guys in Scripture that were sick. No need to rant and ramble for me. This is what Scripture says. Paul's thorn is referred to in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Take it away. Please take it away. Please, please take it away. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, my most, therefore most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities than the power of, that the power of Christ may rest on me. So he asked God to take away this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. We don't know exactly what it was. Uh, some suspect it to be some sort of an illness. But oftentimes a flesh refers to some sort of a weakness in our character that causes us to sin in a fleshly area. I don't know. But he pleaded three times, and, and God chose to leave it there. Trophimus is Trophimus. Trophimus. <laughs> I don't speak Greek. In uh, 2 Timothy 4:20, shows that he left. Paul left him in Miletus sick. Timothy, his own, in 1 Timothy 5:23, is mentioned. No longer drink only water, but use some little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. So he had some kind of stomach issue going on. Epaphroditus, Philippians 2, 25 to 27. He, he was sick also. He had some sort of a sickness going on. That's what the Bible, the, the Bible mentions some saints. These are, these are good folks. These are Christ, Christian guys following God's will. And, and they're sick. And they're even the one that was even left sick. So... That can't apply to them. Number five. Move to number five. Is the gift of healing for today? I can tell you one thing. For, for one thing, I cannot go to the hospital, walk down the halls, and heal people. Be healed. I can't do it. There were three primary times in, in Scripture where, where the miracles were most prevalent. Was in the, they were in the life of Moses, and through that event, through those events around the life of Moses... Then you have Elijah and Elisha. Lots of miracles take place right there. And then, of course, in the, the three-year period-ish when Jesus was walking the planet. A lot of miracles, a lot of healing there through the book of Acts, some. But healing, there, there's nobody I can call on the phone. Nobody I know how to look up on the Internet. If one of my loved ones stricken with cancer or a heart disease or a bad pneumonia, I, can't, I don't know how to call anybody and fly them to my house and say, heal my loved one. I don't, I don't know, actually know anyone with that gift. Now, God can still heal. Amen. Absolutely. My mother-in-law, years ago, 
went in for another biopsy, which was probably going to be a second mastectomy. She got there that day. They were going to do a biopsy. They, they bring you in the room. You know how they look at your band and make sure they got the right person. <clears throat> they, somebody else come in with a chart. Then somebody else come. We have to do an x-ray to verify. They did the x-ray to verify. Put her back in the room. A little while later, somebody comes, looked at the band again. And they, they talk. They look at, they bring the chart and look at the, and every 10 or 20 minutes, somebody would come in the room verifying something. They did the x-ray again. And about four hours into this process, one of the doctors finally comes in and says, we, we, can't, find, we can't find this tumor to biopsy. Don't know what, what's going on. And she said, well, I'm pretty sure I know what's going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not there. Not only is the tumor not there, some scar tissue from a previous biopsy is not there either. Mm. My God can heal. Amen. God can heal. If it's according to his will, his choosing, his sovereignty, we don't get to pick and choose that. My son, last July, last January, my 16-year-old son, 16-year-old son, had a massive brain aneurysm and stroke. And they weren't handing out any hope at Children's Hospital in Dallas. It was over four centimeters, both directions. That's 1.6 inches. That's that's like that. And he, long story short, he just passed a driving evaluation the other day in Dallas. And he's, we're fixing to let him start driving again. He's, he's still not got much use of this left hand, well, none. But we don't know if that's one big miracle or a bunch of small miracles. But God did it. We give God the credit. One of the ladies the other day said, well, the doctors couldn't heal you. You healed yourself. <laughs> and I'm like, well, actually, well, no, we're, we're, we're Christian folks. We, we got to give that credit to God. And she said, well, yes, actually. She's like, that's what she wanted to say, but she didn't think she could say it. I said, we, we're, we're Christian people. We got to give that one to God. And she, she got on board then. How should Christians view the prosperity gospel? Question number six. See above. There's no use in me stand up here rattle and rant when we've seen a lot of scripture this Christian sees the prosperity gospel as a false gospel I'm going to tell you right quick of an experience we had it when we moved I transferred to a power plant in on the other side of the Arkansas line but we lived in Redwater and then I would end up retiring from AEP and we went my wife and I went to be house parents at a children's home in Texarkana and I knew in advance that these that the owners were prosperity. I knew that. Okay. Well, the, come, the day came when we had to take the farm boys to their church, to this certain church. And I, I told Amy, I said, you stay home with the kids today. Let me check this out. Because i got to take these boys to this church because that's whatever they had going on. Ended up having to go twice. I got back that first day, and I said, I'm glad you didn't go. You ain't going. If we go again, you ain't going. It was the one day we got there and the worship team did their thing. It was decent. They were good musicians. And then the preacher gets up, good morning, and turned to so-and-so scripture. And he's opening his Bible. And he huh? What? Oh, God's told me we're going to have a healing service today. I need all the healers to come down. And I'm like, and then about 20 couples-ish 
make their way to the front, and they line the front of the podium stand thing. And I said, oh, here we go. Called the worship team back up to just play softly through it. And they, they did good. They're they good musicians. And all these people start filing down there. And they're getting healed by George from cussing, from drinking, from smoking, from bad attitudes. They're getting healed from bad financial choices. But you can't see none of this. And I'm watching this unfold way back in there, in the corner. There's this guy in a wheelchair. Now, my uncle was a quadriplegic back in the day. He was an attorney, good man. This guy, I would say, was a quadriplegic. That's what the chair looked like. I didn't get up close to him. And I'm thinking, I'm watching all this go on, falling out on the floor, people catching it. You know, you've seen it on TV probably. And I'm thinking, you go back there and get that guy up out of that wheelchair, and you have something. I might, you might have a believer here. They, they never even looked back there. The other time we went, I uh, had to go take guys there. It was, it was the money sermon, put 10 in, get 100 out. And the preacher somehow called for, does anybody in here need a blessing this morning? And they ah! up went all the hands. He said, you know what that takes? Bring out that money. Get that tenfold return. And he walked, the preacher walked down through the aisle and accepted a $100 bill from some guy had held it up. He accepted a $100 bill, stuck in his pocket, preached his sermon about giving and receiving the tenfold financial blessing and that was it that guy didn't have, he was just out a hundred dollars i mean th those are the two times that i that I, I had to go there to take those farm boys and i saw that it broke my heart it's sad because those people in there they're searching they're searching for something they want they want health and wealth and prosperity they want they probably want the right thing but probably not going about it the right way that's stuck in my mind ever since those two times being in that church and I think of that when I think of prosperity gospel some of it's not that extreme the older gentleman I was telling you about with the crooked fingers he's he's not that extreme but still somewhat misled that's going to bring this episode of the podcast to a close. We want to thank you for listening. If you have questions or want to know more about the broader work of our churches that make up the Harmony Pittsburgh Baptist Association, you can visit our website at www.harmonypittsburgh.com or you can contact us here by emailing jeremy, that's J-E-R-E-M-Y, at harmonypittsburgh.com. Once again, we thank you for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Harmony Pittsburgh Baptist Association Leadership Podcast.